0: This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield.
1: It's the Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along. Klopp wish granted, Reds get Trent boost, and Premier League buzz returns ahead of the Hornets' visit to Anfield. We'll preview, predict, and pick our Liverpool 11. There's a return of the team selector and match predictions are with us. To get into all of that, we have our Liverpool correspondent, toolpool Ghost, the face that runs the place, Joe Rimmer, and the O Squires gents. I trust you're all well. Gorse, are you nice and refreshed after
2: the international break? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, it was it was a long two weeks, wasn't it? it? It always is. But I think from a Liverpool perspective, I think Liverpool will have needed this break because of the storm that are about to take on in April. I I was saying before, eight games is a lot. And he's um, it, it, it wrong. It's in fact nine games and it's probably going to be 10 if you get past Benfica in the Champions League quarterfinals. So all to play for in April. So uh, I think for once an um, international break probably came at a nice time for Liverpool. Even though on the other side of it, I was actually making the point that it's probably come at the wrong time for them and Manchester City will be glad of it. But having had it, you know, a week off, chance to get um, the likes of Trent, you know, we we're going to talk about in a minute, a little bit fitter than he was two weeks ago, then I think mm-hmm. it's coming a nice time for Liverpool and it's um, all systems go from uh, from tomorrow, isn't it?
1: Yeah, 1st of April, Joe, no fools here on Blood Red, no doily with us today, you keep them all? <laughs>
0: That, that is one of your better ones that. yeah, that's <laughs> great. yeah no I, I i am well i'm just i'm just waking up from the international break i, I just go into like a little international break hibernation and goes to sleep for two weeks to be fair i went to sleep before the forest game because that's the fa Cup, and I, I won't wake up to the semi finals so um yeah yeah uh, no fools here yeah crack on that was good it's good i enjoyed that yeah
1: happy days they are you keeping well as well pal yeah, not really
3: been able to do much. I, I caught the vid finally, so I've just had two weeks inside. I suppose it's the perfect time with the international break. Rather, get it out now than uh, for, I don't know, FA Cup semi-final or something like that.
1: No, definitely. definitely. Well, Gorsley, let's crack on then and discuss some of the, the big fallout of the last few days. First of all, before we get into the press conference and the injury news, the Premier League's decision to introduce five substitutes as of next season. It's something Jurgen Klopp has long wanted and, and finally it has been accepted.
2: Yeah, it's um it's difficult to keep track of. You know, when, when you cover Champions League games and cup games, it's hard to um you know remember who's coming on and who's coming off when teams can make ten subs. But I think I think it's only the right decision, isn't it, when you think of the amount of games that are being asked to be played. Now, you know, Klopp said that in his press comments before, you know, there's no competition and there's no country you're willing to kind of give any ground in this, so it just means the players are being asked to play all year round in, you know, competitions in the continent, competitions for the clubs, the national teams, European games, uh, two domestic cups. So um it seems to be like sense has finally won the day. I don't really agree with this argument that it's making stronger teams, you know, giving them an extra leg up because... I don't think I've ever seen a team make five subs where they've all been tactical. You know, a lot of the time Klopp's making a fourth and a fifth sub just to kind of give, um, you know, 10 or 15 minutes rest to to a fullback. Say, for example, Trent coming off for of Nico Williams just to preserve Trent's legs for what might be a busy month or your busy couple of weeks or whatever. So I, I don't think it's a case of, you know, the likes of City and a Liverpool and a Chelsea are struggling, and, and now they're able to make five game changing substitutes and completely tip a match on a TED. I think it is just looking after the players. You know, of course, you you make your three, and you look to try and change the game, and, and that is what teams look the team to do. But I I, I don't think I, I can't think of one game where Klopp has made full five substitutions where they've all had a big kind of impact on the game. It is very much just about getting rest in, into some legs which we've seen the amount of muscle injuries of last year particularly last season um I think it's it's probably a sensible thing isn't it and I've seen quite a few arguing the, the other way saying it just gives more power to the to the top clubs but I'd almost argue it the other way you know teams are lower down say for example barely have got quite a few games in hand to catch up on if, if they play three times in a week and they're not used to it with a small squad and the hamstring goes for one of their key key men you know Weakhorst or whoever it may be, Dwight McNeil, then they're going to be massively hampered by that, are Whereas the ability to make five subs throughout the course of the season will just kind of mitigate
1: that. Yeah, one interesting point I heard, Joe, was in Brendan Rogers' press conference of, of basically saying, is it going to kind of offer more opportunity for young players to come through? Of course, this year, nine substitutes on the bench. So to me, it doesn't make any difference because the nine are still sat there. It's just two more are going to get onto the field of play. But certainly when you, you bring that then back to, to Liverpool and thinking on that youth level, we've seen a huge youth recruitment drive over the last kind of two years or so. A lot of people obviously that thirst for first team transfers, but a number of young players have been important, might now be pushing towards from the start of next season, trying to get on that first team bench for a few Premier League games and, and might even see a few minutes.
0: Yeah, and you don't even have to go that young, do you? You, know, you look at Harvey Elliott and, and Curtis Jones, well, they're two players who've been in and out the team and in and out the squad in, in recent weeks, and you know that I'm sure they'll be happy because they probably will get more opportunities. I, I, I don't, again, like, like Gorsey, I don't buy into this. Like, oh, the, the big teams have got a sudden advantage because I don't think. Ultimately, you do see many tactical substitutions that, especially when you get down to like your fifth sub, that are really going to change the game. And don't forget, I, I always think that when managers of, say, like a, a mid-table club or or a lower club, or, you know, a lesser team, in, in inverted commas, speaks about these types of rule changes, they, they always bang on about, our oh, you know, favours the big clubs. But then football, to me, is just a bit like a food chain, isn't it? So if you're Leicester, you, you still have a bigger squad than a than a Brentford, and Brentford have a bigger squad than, you know, than, than some other sides. So it's still, you know, someone always has an advantage over somebody. It's not necessarily just three or four clubs at the very top of the table. It works all the way down. So, you know what? Yeah, I mean, it'll work both ways in some games as well. You know, Le- Leicester might be 2-1 down at Anfield and be able to bring on somebody that they haven't been able to, be able to bring on in the past to have another go and see if they can change the game. So, you know, I, I find... Some people just don't like change, and I think some managers just don't want things to change. But I, I don't think it's a massive issue. I don't think it's going to like be the be-all and end-all for, for the for, you know for the big few clubs. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's good news that they're playing more games than ever. They should be able to have fresh legs. And, yeah, I think it will benefit young players. So, you know, all round, it's pretty good. Can't complain.
1: Yeah, I'm interested, Theo, to see if it changes the game at all in terms of And I know we've had kind of five substitutes since the effects of the pandemic, but maybe as it now is kind of setting, so might begin to see a a few more maybe first-half substitutions made by managers of taking advantage of it. Even after half an hour, something's not working, having that bravery to change it there and then, rather than kind of wait for the the staple 60th-minute substitution, if you know what I mean.
3: Yeah, I suppose the option is there, but no manager is going to set up their team to start a game thinking that that is going to be the case 40 minutes in, 45 minutes in. Like Liverpool had to do it against Leicester in the League Cup. I think Klopp made, was it, three substitutions at half-time because he named a team that was probably too young for that game and they were really struggling. He put out a more senior side and they turned it around. But Realistically, how often is that going to happen in the Premier League? Like Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea, these are the best teams in the country, in Europe, in the world they win most Premier League games in the domestic cups in the last few years, whether it's been three substitutions or five substitutions, they have been the teams getting through to the semi-finals, winning the trophy in the FA cup this year, all three of them are in the semifinals again, and they're still going strong in the champions league. Yeah, they've got the strongest squad. So that means they can rotate and they can make those changes. But whilst it's an option, how often do you really see these sides struggling that much early on that they need to make those changes? And it's a level of playing field if other sides can do it. It's maybe going to make it slightly more tactical with these changes, like you say. Like if you've got a team that are tired legs and you know you've got an inconsistent but a really quick player on the bench, it's very easy to throw him on a bit earlier and just run at tired legs. You know you can just save that in reserve as a power play and you can have kids there as an option. But then Liverpool, they've got these players that when they're trying to see out a game, oh, we'll just throw on James Milner to control the midfield add a bit of experience. Or we'll throw on Joe Gomez to shore up a defence. It just has those extra meanings to these sorts of changes. Yeah, No no manager's going to go and name a side thinking, oh, this might go wrong for us. We'll have to change it half an hour. Ideally, they want to be in a situation where it's 20 minutes to go. It's 3-0 up and they can make a few changes just to rest players. Uh, it works both ways.
1: Yeah, definitely right. Let's get into the press conference then and I suppose the, the meat of the podcast of discussing the return of action. And of course, the, a boost in terms of Trent Alexander-Arnold, of course, wasn't available prior to the break, nor was he for England during the international break. Jürgen Klopp did stress he wanted to go away, but he, he's back mm. in full training. But we're still yet to know if he's going to feature against Watford.
2: Yeah, I'd, I'd be surprised if, if he did. Uh, everything we've been hearing over the last week or two is that, Man City remains the, the kind of target for him, but Klopp did say that he's got a good chance of um, being included for the game in Lisbon on, on Tuesday night. what ends so happened with, with Klopp is, you know, if a player's, player needs to play two training sessions with the full group before they're considered for selection, so Trent Maloney have one, won't he, tonight, if, if he is back in, in full training. So I'd imagine uh, tomorrow... Afternoon, particularly with it being an R twelve game as well, it's probably come a bit too soon for them. Um, and I think Liverpool would, you know, have one eye on next week and think that those two games are probably too big to be risking them. You know, when you consider the, the playing at home against wafford so you know, a Joe Gomez or a James Milner should theoretically be fine to be thrown in and give Trent an extra few days rest. So uh, don't expect them to start tomorrow, but I think it's quite interesting how, how Klopp kind of unprompted went out of his way to say that, you know, Trent wanted to go with England and, and, you know, basically trying to calm this idea that if it wasn't in anyone else's, it certainly must have been in his because he, he came out with it, but this idea that um, there was nothing wrong with Trent and it was all just kind of, well, you know, like you've got a hammy and you don't have to go with England and we can rest up for, for the big month. Um, I don't think that was the case, but I think just the way Klopp kind of went off, you know, on a tangent of his own, suggests that maybe he thought some people were thinking that, but um, I don't think that was the case anyway. I think, you know, even though Trent hasn't played anywhere near as much as he would have liked to for England, I think he'd never kind of share out of a call-up, and um, I imagine he will be um, fit and firing for next week.
1: The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Joe, what's your take on it? A risk worth taking of, obviously, we know in the Premier League, Liverpool need to hunt down City and, and take every point that they possibly can. But equally, with the week that's on the horizon or, or following this Watford game, probably best to make sure he's at 100%, certainly for that City showdown
0: Yeah, exactly. I think, look... I think you you could have him on the bench against Watford if he's fit and, you know, if you desperately need to change things and you can bring him on, but you would expect Liverpool to have too much for Watford, so I personally wouldn't be risking him, you know, I think I think you could play Gomez or Milner there and, and, and feel pretty safe, um, you know, I think Sa plays down the other side, doesn't he, and he's, he's their, their best attacker, so yeah, I, I think... Um, I certainly wouldn't be risking him. Uh, you know, if he's fit for Benfica, I'd be tempted to use him there because look, with the Champions League coming up, you know, you, if you can win that first leg in Portugal, um, you know, go back to Anfield with a, with a decent lead, you'd be feeling confident. You might even be able to make changes for the Anfield game. So, I'd, you know, I'd be tempted to play him against Benfica if they've got him. But yeah, um, I certainly wouldn't risk him against Watford if there's any doubt, especially with a, a hamstring injury. They're just not, um, they're not the types of injuries that, People recover well don't they? if they do them over and over again. You know, we've seen players in the past. I always remember Owen growing up. Seems to have, seems to have hamstring injury after hamstring injury. So, you know, I, I'm sure Liverpool know that, and I'm sure Liverpool won't risk him if there's any risk at all. So, yeah, um, I don't think it's it's worth it against Watford.
1: Yeah, I never ran fast enough myself to pull a hamstring. So Theo, no. <laughs> uh, I know you're in the
0: same. I don't same think never ran. Yeah. yeah, especially not playing for them. I don't think I've never seen him run. <laughs> There's a big Well, to be
1: fair, to be fair, I know, I know Theo's never run anywhere, I've seen him playing football, he just kicks everyone. Uh, Theo, in terms of it, big opportunity, I suppose, for, for Joe Gomez. A lot of talk during the international break that he might look for Parsons new to, to try and force his way into that World Cup squad in the summer. I suppose this is going to be an audition for him, is it? Playing at, at right back like he did against Norwich. Um...
3: Yes and no. It's a chance for him to play some football, get some minutes in on those legs. He's not played nearly enough this season and it has cost him his international place. But deep down, Joe Gomez doesn't want to be playing right back. He's not going to get into that England squad as a right back. So it's just a case of getting him minutes rather than something that's going to be good for him in the, the long haul. I do think he's the right option to fill in there. He impressed me at right back against Forest. Um, I'm still getting flashbacks to how Milner struggled against Man City. And with that game on the horizon, if Trent set, sort of had a setback in the week, you'd rather have Joe Gomez at right-back against City than James Milner. Um, but then you think Watford, they've got Saar, who must be one of the quickest players in the Premier League. If he's running at James Milner, that could end quite nastily. Um, so it does suit Joe Gomez to have a bit of pace there. Uh, he, he's been unlucky this season. He's not had a, a run of games in Klopp's reference like himself. We know how talented he is. He's just got some the, the hardest competition that you are going to find at centre back. Um, you need him to get minutes, but it's now basically that case of rotating him and getting the minutes where he can, and hoping he can go stronger in pre season and force his way up that Liverpool pecking order. But right back is not his long term position for club or country. For him, it's what right sided centre back in a three for England, centre back for Liverpool, unless he moves on and has to reinvent himself elsewhere. But we we knew a long time ago that he was not a right back.
1: No, maybe not quite not the, the versatility of a, of a Ben White, but anyway, we'll we'll move on from that one. Gorsley, you mentioned before the England thing with Trent, unprompted by Jurgen Klopp. He, he kind of did something similar about the atmosphere he wants to see yeah. at Anfield. Often we know half-twelves, they're not a, a raucous occasion. And so often with, with Liverpool and with Anfield, he's put out the great European nights, the, the atmosphere that Canberra created. But I thought it was great of Klopp to actually front it up and say, look, if you're not going to come and make an atmosphere... Give you a ticket to someone else. It reminded me of the City game. What in was it November 2019, October 2019? When he said, even the guy selling the hot dogs needs yeah. to be in his very best. He's kind of already playing the role of, of g'ing everyone up, and I get the feeling not just for this game, but now for the remainder of the season, it's time to turn it on.
2: Yeah, because he, he knows the difference it can have. Ultimately, you know, we only have to look at last season when Liverpool had no fans and, and how disastrous that was. Um, yeah, he it, it, it really made a really strong point about it. And you know, as you say, Guy, it was kind of unprompted again. He, he, I think he knows that our 12 games are, are always quite slack. I don't know whether you know people haven't been up, up too long to get themselves in the mood for it, or whether you know, there's a few heavy heads from a, a few babies on the Friday or whatever it is, the 12-30 t- games just never really seem to be you know, big atmospheres and there might be a little bit of a, an expectant. Attitude, just kind of drifting from the the fan base in the crowd tomorrow with a team who are hovering above the relegation zone coming to Anfield, and um, I think he knows that um, they'll stand more of a chance of winning the game if there is a a proper atmosphere. And um, it's it's almost just what what the prize is if they do win. You know, they might you know might only be for a couple of hours, but they can go top the Premier League. And and what a kind of um, big psychological thing that would be for Liverpool to Go top in April, having fought back from 11, 12, 13 points behind City so just a couple of weeks ago. So um, yeah, he was keen to point that out. Uh, I hope it does have an impact as well. I Hope people have listened and and do kind of create a little bit of a little bit of a din tomorrow. Um, we're getting into that territory now, aren't we? Where you line up for the bus coming in, you know, every game. And uh, I remember i doing that against Underland in 2014, and it kind of felt a, felt like the fans knew it was going to be a massive run-in and the and team needed every help they could get. So, I hope it's a similar thing now for the next, what, six weeks or so, um, six to eight weeks. And uh, let's hope it starts tomorrow when, when the team pulls, pulls in. What's pulls 11 o'clock in the morning tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow morning.
1: Yeah, definitely. The running does start here, doesn't it, Joe? Now for Liverpool, it's not a case of the last six games. It's now the running is certainly in full swing and. I suppose, sort of, what Gorsley was mentioning there, and with the, the supporters and the feel for it all, is for so long supporters weren't there, weren't there to actually see Liverpool lift the title. Now it is that time to really show what that role is. Don't take it for granted. Now our supporters are back in and fall back into maybe that old way. It's really make yourselves
0: be known. That's it. I mean, Liverpool fans have got that extra motivation, and the, you know, the team on the title at the worst possible time. And, um, and they will want to see them lift it. And, you know, I always remember Klopp would talk about the um, the parade that they were going to have um, after they won the title. They'd still be talking about it wouldn't he, a few months later. He'd say, when it's safe, we'll have a parade. Well, understandably, they never had that parade. So let's see him have a parade with a couple. So Liverpool fans have got the extra motivation. I'm sure that they will make this a very noisy end to the season. You know, there's so much to play for, so many big occasions. You know, no one's going to want to come to Anfield a bit you know this is probably the one from the run in now that I think Klopp's right to try and g them up because like Gorsi said 12 he seems to have that sleepy that sleepy um, sort of you know thing don't they before you go into them so I think you know an early goal or a decision might wake them up but it'd be good if, if Anfield's bouncing tomorrow and Liverpool set the tone and you know I think one of the key things yeah, I haven't looked at the fiction list, but I don't know how many times it's happened. But I, I always think going first is great, you know, when you've got the running. Because, I mean, City, Liverpool felt like they were going first the year, um, you know, City Pippen to it. And City obviously always followed pretty well. But it just puts that pressure on, doesn't it? And even if City are away at Burnley, which feels like a game that they should win, if Liverpool go first tomorrow, went the floor with Watford, then there's that little bit of extra pressure in that Burnley game that says you can't even draw, you can't make mistakes. And you know, I just think it's a psychological advantage Liverpool can have. So whenever they go first, I think it's an advantage I think they should take it. And I think Anfield will recognise that. Um and it should be an interesting end to the season. You know, it, it will be really good, you know, for the city if they can have that parade. I'll yeah, say.
1: yeah. My international break was that boring. I was I was caught watching Premier League years at one stage and, and saw the eighteen nineteen season and forgot oh, about City, yeah, forgot about City going to, to Turf Moor. And much like kind of the John Stones moment mm. with, with Manet, it was just goal line technology, the ball just over the line that actually helped them get over Burnley at Turf Moor on that occasion. Of course, similar game for them. Theo, how significant is it Liverpool, whether it's half an hour, whether it's two and a half hours, can go ahead of Manchester City in the Premier League? And I think I'm right in saying lead the Premier League for the first time since September. Chelsea and Man City have both had a go at leading the way. It's about being there at the end, though, isn't it?
3: Yeah, um, it's Liverpool had the chance to become the hunted, having been the hunted for so long. And it's a situation that I don't think any of us saw in January, mid-January time, when um, City beat Chelsea. That felt like a day where the title would be won. And like Joe's pointed out about Liverpool going first. Well, that they went first when um, City lost the Spurs, when they dropped points in this run. Liverpool have gone first. They have put that pressure on them. And they've been able to have it themselves without any pressure because they've had those games in hand and because no one expected them to be in this situation at this point, having been so far behind. Um, it's played into their hands perfectly. And even though it's only a couple of hours, if they get that victory in their top of the table, then City will know, well, they're not going anywhere now. City have to get that win and then the top spot could be stolen off them again next week anyway when Liverpool go to the Etihad. Um, It is almost roles reversed from a a couple of years ago when Liverpool led for so long but City had the games in hand and you knew if they won their games they were going to win the title but it still felt like it was almost Liverpool losing it because they had been in that position of strength. Um, Liverpool can just keep playing how they've been playing all season long with that confidence, with that belief, with no fear because they've made a title race when it seemed to be over and they can have this advantage and they've not really missed out or lost if they don't win the title now. They've just done amazingly to make it a race again. We have to see what happens next week. But if they're going to the Etihad, potentially top of city of drop points to Burnley, or even just stealing that top spot back, um, it's going to get that real roar going for the last few weeks. Like we said, with the um, fans coming out and cheering the coach coming in, it is going to be this two-month-long homecoming every week with fans wanting to make that difference. Uh, We always thought when Liverpool won the Premier League title again, after that 30-year wait, it would be the best season ever and there would be the biggest celebrations ever. And they never quite got to that, even though on the pitch it was their most successful ever season. Well, it's a very Liverpool thing to do to, oh, we'll just make amends for it this year by winning a quadruple, wouldn't it? We're seeing them go for everything at all fronts. Every game matters. It's going to be two, three games a week, every midweek, every weekend. They're such huge games. Um, It might only be Watford at 12.30 to start it all off. But that's maybe the game you want to kick it all off to get that life going because there's not going to be any moment for rest when you're playing. Benfica, City, Benfica, City, United, Everton. I think you've got Tottenham in that run somewhere. You've got Champions League semi-finals potentially in that run somewhere. Um, this is the only moment you can have before to breathe before this game. Uh, strap yourself in. It's about to kick off.
1: The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, it does feel that way. Gorsdink, it's all about the timing of the chase, isn't it? Have Liverpool, or could Liverpool, have timed this better? And certainly in terms of where they were, were coming from, the points that they had to make up on Manchester City, the fact they can go ahead of City, ahead of that visit to the Etihad, even if it is just for a couple of hours at least, it's that reminder, it's that shot across the bowels of we're here, we're hunting you and we're not going anywhere. And of course, it comes in a week when the Champions League returns on top of that when Man City aren't really going to have time to collect themselves and, and think about it. It's game after game and, and Liverpool are chasing.
2: Yeah, that that's right. I think I think if you'd ask Klopp, he'd probably rather be in this position, probably rather be behind, just kind of lurking than being the team who are, who are being chased. Um, Just seems to suit Liverpool a bit better, that kind of relentless thing where, where they, there's no let-up and, and they're just at it every single game and, and trying to keep the pressure on. And, and it was funny that Guardiola said a couple of times this season, hasn't he? They were further paying the ass or whatever it was he said. He, he knows that you know, these two, two teams last, what, three, four seasons. I think there's only one point between them. I think it's something like 334 and 333 points collected each since the start of the 2018-19 season. Um, just incredible levels that the two teams have set it's kind of like a modern day arsenal united um chelsea united you know those kind of rivalries around the the late 90s and and the mid noughties it's a new age one for that now isn't it just um two incredible teams as theo says the best teams in england without question the best teams in europe and and inevitably then the world so it's going to be um it's going to be fascinating to see how it all pans out uh but there are some massive games in there for the field teams who will want to stop them whether they'll be able to on that, I'm not sure. You know, United and and Everton and Anfield that in that week. Uh Tottenham as well, a little bit of a threat on, on the council attack, but I think that that's probably where they're at the best. Um so it's um it's gonna be a, a huge month. Um and it's all it's all to play for, in it? So let let's just see what, what they can go for, what they end up with, and uh I'd be shocked if they'll finish the season with
1: just the Carabao Cup for their efforts. Yeah, Joe, I'm going to take Gorsley, what he said there, and and let you answer it. The best rivalry in Premier League history, this Manchester City and Liverpool incarnation, the competitiveness of the two sides, maybe not like the mind games and the histrionics of of rivalries gone by, but in terms of pure competitiveness and the fact that this has now stretched over three full seasons.
0: I don't think it's the best rivalry in Premier League history, but I think these are the best two current Teams, if that, if that makes sense, you know. I, in I'm not saying, yeah, in terms of quality, right now, and I'm not saying you know because you know United did it over a, a long period of time. Chelsea team, you know, 2005 to to seven was very very good, but I think as teams go, you, you've never seen in the Premier League two teams of this of this quality playing for the same title, have you? You know, it's um, it, it's sort of unheard of. But I don't think it's the best rivalry, just in terms of, you know, just a, a, as a neutral in, in this situation, Arsenal versus United, you know, the, the Keane versus Vieira, that's that sort of the needle of, of, of the late night. So what yeah, you're saying world. is next
1: week you want to see Henderson charge down the tunnel at the end, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> throw, throw pizza. Yeah, um, look at Fernandinho in yeah.
0: the face and say... Is you
1: know, uh, it Fernandinho? An well, I think he's club captain, yeah. yeah I don't know if he yeah. plays on the tunnel or... Yeah, tell them. For they the, don't have that
3: figure uh, the, idea that
0: you can all hate. No. Yeah, don't pick on Trent. He's a nice guy. Exactly. Uh, yeah. But, but no, no. I, I I just thought you know that was a more fun rivalry. But these are the two best teams. Um, I think we've seen going head to head. Um, it's just a very different rivalry, isn't it? I think football's evolved and football's a little bit different now. And you know, it's football is almost it is more perfect, isn't it? You you have to pick up more points, you have to pick up more wins, and there's less room for error. And and teams. This sounds quite bad because there isn't personalities, but I don't think you don't have those players, those imperfect players, do you, that you have? No, it's so scientific, you know, guys. Yeah, it's very scientific, yeah. and players are very well coached and trained at every level from the stuff they do on the pitch to the stuff they do off the pitch. Um, you know. So I, I, I wouldn't say it's the best rivalry. It's not the, the most fascinating to watch in terms of drama, but it's the best it, it's really interesting to see two teams duke it out and I, I, you know as a Liverpool supporter it, it makes it even more frustrating if you like because I just think if this Liverpool team existed in any other era that have you know they swept the ball clean but you know against City it's a completely different ball game they're just that good so um, you know it, it's still a great rivalry I'd probably say maybe second or third but that United Arsenal one of the early, early noughties I thought it was great
1: I yeah. think it's, I personally think it's the most, I think it's the most gripping week in, week out because of that, knowing that both sides are going to win. I think it, when United it, and Arsenal clashed, that was more fiery and that that was more, yeah, exciting. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. It's I guess, more
2: drama. It's strong, isn't it? You know, yeah, just no, no real weakness in either team, no margin for error. <laughs> look, at, you know, they pulled got 97 points and didn't win the league. And uh, I was going to say, I don't support either side, but
1: 2019, that running. I watched every game of, of Liverpool and Manchester City of just pure amazement of what was going to happen. I, I, I don't think the other rivalries have had that, but equally when they come together, there's, you, you want it to be something so much more, but it's not, but you can yeah, accept yeah. it. There's not, that, there's not that
3: one. villain in this because it is such quality football and there's so yeah. much yeah. respect from them and the managers make sure that every time they speak about each other, there's that respect they have for each other. Even when you have them losing their head on the sidelines, like we saw with Guardiola a couple of times at Anfield, it's never a big feud kicking off between the teams. Even when Sterling and Gomez had that little spat, there's still the respect between the two sides. There isn't that spikiness, that nastiness to it. There is no one in that City team that you'd hate as an opposing supporter or anything to be this pantomime villain. And with it still being City, it doesn't matter how good they are, how good they will be. They're still in Manchester United shadows in terms of this name. Like if it was Manchester United with Guardiola as manager with that squad, <clears> competing for these honours, it would be the best rivalry without a doubt. You'd have that spike to it, that nastiness to it. Liverpool would be more emotionally involved in it, but it doesn't have that emotions. It's just everyone sits back and they just watch two brilliant football teams fight it out from start to finish without letting off. And they very rarely lose points and it is just two quality teams. But yeah, we need someone to be a bit of a... I can't really say a word here that's going to be safe for this podcast.
1: You want to see Mohamed (laughs) Salah twice at the Etihad and look up at the sky and go, two!
3: There's no pantomime in there. There's no like Cantona that's going to lose his head. There's no Adebayor that's going to run the length of the pitch and celebrate in front of the and fans. You need these sorts of moments, don't you? Someone to make it a story and it's not. It's just two great teams with great players producing quality football but they're not flawed. There's no flawed heroes in there for you to have that emotional connection with.
0: And, and the teams aren't flawed in the sense that, I mean, Guy, you're, you're the neutral in this, you know, so you, you probably have a better handle on this, but I find it slightly boring that they win every week. I, I you know, you a few more defeats would make it a bit more, yeah, but that's, that's a bit more well, drama.
1: That's part of it, though. you. It defies logic that they both yeah, keep winning it, it, every week. Well, it certainly does. Go, oh, but... well, well, whoever's going second, like you said before, you want to go first. As soon as that team would you go, ah, of course, yeah, they're going to have to drop points. And then they don't. And then you have to wait the next week and go, is it going to happen again? And Yeah, yeah and true. it
0: makes the individual showdown, doesn't it? It's mm-hmm. At the Etihad next week, even more important. But, you know... I like a few more defeats. I liked it when you could lose eight Premier League games and still win the title. <laughs> that's, a, that's the mark of a good team, isn't it? <laughs> win, win, it win it on 75 points we're all Very so, yeah. no, definitely. Yeah, fun.
1: Right. We, we we sidetracked there. I enjoyed that that chat. But, of course, the, the next thing I wanted to talk about was Mohamed Salah. Of course, he's not going to the World Cup. Is that hmm. going to fuel the fire that burns within? him? we're now going to see a, a, even more of a glut of goals that the start of the season recreated at the end of the season. For the
2: Egyptian king. Yeah, it, it it's a it's a nice nice story, isn't it? It's an easy one to to figure out that he's going to be kind of you know emboldened by the fact that he's missed out on the Afcon and he's missed out on going to the World Cup with Egypt and now you now everybody's going to get it because he's just, you know, snarling his way to to greatness, but I don't know really. I mean I, I don't I don't think there'll be any mark change in in him. He'll just be doing what he always does. He's kind of set that level for himself now hasn't he where he's just you know he wants to be the absolute best he can be you know whether he's playing for Egypt or Liverpool or you know whoever he's just a an absolute relentless machine And Klopp said that he spoke to him but it wasn't any kind of great big chat about you know didn't need an arm round the shoulder or anything like that but I suppose um, one thing to look out for would be uh, when he came off the bench against Leicester when he'd just come back from the AFCON after missing out you know, by a whisker on penalties then. he come on for about half an hour and he could have had an atroph. He hit the bar. Uh, Schmeichel made a good save one-on-one. There was another one that he went close with. and he, he looked like he hadn't missed a step after being away for, what was it, four weeks or so. Playing a lot, a lot of football for Egypt. I think every single knockout game for them went to penalties or at least to the very end of, of extra time. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see tomorrow if he starts, how he Kind of reacts to that, but um, I just think he'll, he'll just carry on as he is, um, just being the you know that kind of elite mentality that he has, and, and, and he'll still be Liverpool's main man,
1: yeah. Equally, Joe, on on Sadio Mane, it's worth celebrating him though. No? I mean, since Luis Diaz came in and supposedly was just taking his spot in the team from him, he's been crowned champion of Africa and he's now helped his side get to. The World Cup as well, he's by no means a, a busted flash.
0: Yeah, it always kind of annoys me that the the Mane narrative that he's sort of like he's almost like the poor man of that of the front free. And when I say the front free, I mean I even mean the original front free. You know, you hear people talk about it now, and the priority is like get Salah sign a new contract. Then it's like, well, Firmino will just sign a new contract just because, which I think is a is slightly, slightly arrogant. But Mane always seems to be the one that I think if most people would say, "Would you sell one?" they'd probably go, "Yeah, I'll sacrifice Mane." We've got Diaz, you know. I think Mane is like, you know, could walk into any team on planet Earth, and and I think that we overlook him sometimes, a real shame. And and I almost get the feeling he feels that as well, and that's why you know these wins for Senegal are big for him because, you know, I think there is. I would never say there's, there's a dislike between him and Salah, but I think there's certainly a little bit of a personal rivalry, and Mane wanting to prove. I'm just as good if not if not better or, or important for my team. So, you know, I, I sometimes get a bit frustrated that he's just written off so so quickly or or overlooked, is probably the better word. But, you know, I, I think you know, I, I think between now and the end of the season, Salah will will carry on being the machine that he is, but but Mané will score some big goals for Liverpool and it wouldn't surprise me if he goes and gets the winner in a game like the Etihad next week and you know, in the Champions League. He's he's such a good player and he's operating at the peak of his powers right now, and, and should be as confident as ever. So, yeah, I I um, it does irritate me that um that he gets overlooked. But but just quickly on Salah, um, I, I wouldn't name names um on our desk, but Sam Carroll he says that Salah could probably come back, and um and this could be a huge blow for Liverpool, and, and him going out with Egypt could could wreck Liverpool's chances for the rest of the season. But I just I'm just not having it. I just think the way Salah is, he'll come back angry and ready to prove to everyone what he's made of and i think he was back in training you know within about 30 seconds of, of his playing such and down wasn't he so you know i just wouldn't be surprised if he comes back knocks a half trick past watford and, and um and carries on the way left off so yeah won't name names but sam's totally wrong in that. <laughs> it's interesting yeah, what you're I'm, looking I'm, at because
1: I was gonna say just worth noting the same Sam Carroll who thought Sandro Ramirez was gonna challenge for the Golden Boot <laughs> upon the side Everton, but yeah. we're not Everton podcast, yeah.
3: I yeah. I was gonna say with Salo, it's interesting that when he really exploded into life, it was after scoring the penalty to take Egypt to the World Cup in 2018, well in 2017 when he scored the goal. And that's when he really took his game to this next level. But he's got unfinished business with that World Cup. He got the injury in the Champions League final, which meant even though he scored twice in Russia, they were already pretty much out and he couldn't be at the best of his level. He's the best player in the world at the moment and he's not going to be able to take his country to a World Cup and have that stage to show to everyone watching that year's the best player. He's going to have to just do it on club-level performances. So now he's going to have to have that fire in the belly and have to fight back. He's going to have to go and win the Premier League or the Champions League because if these are his peak years... It's going to be 34 when the next World Cup comes along. This is his chance to really showcase his talents to everyone watching and show why he is the best. And you hope that he can come back and fire. And I think he hasn't scored as many since the Cup of Nations. There's been an injury in there as well. But this will probably get his focus going. And now, right, I've had two major setbacks. Let's go and make it right. And Liverpool have had this before where they lose a Champions League final, they go and win the next one. They miss out on the title by a point, they go and win it the next year. Now, this is an individual case for Salah, being able to go on and do that and have go and bounce back in the best possible way by winning the Golden Boot, maybe winning Cingredrupel, maybe winning the Ballon d'Or and have that real personal achievement. And then Mane. He's probably the biggest winner out of and Salah's situation because he's just the one who can pick up the pieces. If Salah signs a new contract, then his agent knows what bar is set at. So he can go and make wage demands. And if he doesn't agree anything with Liverpool, whoever wanted Salah in the first place, they'll probably go, well, Sadio Mane would be do just as good a job. If Salah goes, then he can ask for even more to stay at Liverpool and be this leading talisman. It's win-win for Sadio Mane. And as Joe said, he's maybe not got the recognition he deserves. Um, if it hadn't been for the pandemic, he would have been the hero of the title-winning year. He, he I was going to won- say,
1: the title-winning year, Salah's the poster boy, isn't he, with the goal at the end of the game against Manchester United, but it was Mane's goals. Yeah, he's well getting so time, many winners, wasn't it? Yeah, like, yeah his winners. The, the Norwich
3: one was one of the last winners, wasn't it, before the pandemic, and that yeah. really set Liverpool on their way. Up. The title was in the touching grass. And then the pandemics pandemic uh, halted everything and he wasn't quite the same because no one was quite the same when... Play resumed. Henderson was the one picking up these Player of the Year awards. If you just had a normal season and be able to carry on his mid-season form right through to the end, he would have been the star man there while he's only had, what, one golden boot for Liverpool. He does offer a lot more in terms of overall play with the game, how he links up with Robertson. He's been such a vital player for Liverpool. All of the original front three have. And while it is going to be a time where they have to step aside, they have to let in a Diaz or a Jota or whoever is signed in the future... Um, Sadio Mane was huge to that Liverpool title with him hopefully he can be for a couple more yeah because he is going to be the major winner for whatever happens to Salah's uh, future They're just there to pick up the pieces
1: The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo Yeah definitely right time to get into our team selector then ahead of Watford's visit to Anfield in the Premier League I'll be brave Alison Becker between the sticks Gorsley back four what we you thinking?
2: Yeah, I'd probably go with Gomez because I thought he played well against Nottingham at right back, or Nottingham Palace, rather. Um, Robertson left back. He, he showed no ill effects of his COVID diagnosis. He played a little bit for Scotland, didn't he? Uh, and then you you're looking at Matip and Van Dijk. Joe, you go along with that?
0: Absolutely, one hundred percent.
1: Theo? Yeah, clean sweep. Um, you got five
3: substitutions in Champions League, so you can have, I don't know, someone coming off the bench like Trent in that one if needed or start Canate, but this that's the four, they've had the break, let them start this one.
1: OK, Theo, i stick with you in the midfield, what are you thinking?
3: Um, probably going to be Henderson, Fabinho, and Thiago, Laby-Kate is injured again, so it's not going to be him, so those are the first Jewish three, um, it's normally three into four, and when there's only three available, it's an easy three.
1: Joe, do you agree with that as well? Or?
0: Sorry, say, say again, I missed you there because Sam sent me a message <laughs>
1: <laughs> his, <laughs> his, his ears burning, yeah. Uh, do, you, do you agree with, with Theo's three for that, that midfield?
0: I didn't hear his three, that's the thing. Um, yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh I just to think Kater's obviously not fit. Um, probably I would have started Kater if he'd, if he'd been fit, but as always seems to be the way the, the games that you are up for Kater, he's mm-hmm. not fit for, so I, I'd have started him. Um yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I think you know it's it's a strange on this game because it feels like the game. If it was sandwiched in between a couple, you you rotate, but because they're coming straight back into it, you want to win, don't you? So I, I would I would go strong and probably rotate a couple in Portugal
1: and lay lay down that marker. I suppose for,
2: for Man yeah. City, is that mm-hmm. your thinking too? Uh, yeah, it, it's a it's a good theory and and it's got a lot of weight to it, but I'm not sure whether I'd maybe give Jones a go. Um, I just think with Thiago you can't get I, I don't see Thiago playing the Liverpool go all the way in every competition I think they've got 16 games left I don't see him being able to play You know, all 16 of them so you've got to use him sparingly I think so Fabinho, Henderson and uh, I'll give Curtis Jones a run out
3: Thiago's oh. the one who's not played on international duty though
2: yeah, but I just think he's just he's had injury problems, hasn't he, throughout his time at the pool and beyond, just this season. And it'd just be a shame for him to just to pick up a a little knock that might keep him off for another two or three weeks against a team you'd imagine the pool can get by without him.
1: I know I should know my place and I ask the questions and move on, but nobody thinking Harvey Elliott's worth of shouting this, like, like Gosty saying there. Did Jones and Elliott play one each of Benfica and and Watford, and which way round or? Is it just a sub role for the Elliot? I'd probably
3: give Elliot Benfica. Like, he had the San Siro game against Inter. Seems it suits him a bit more at the moment. But he's still feeling his way back in.
0: I'd rather keep some consistency. So, you know, I'd almost have the midfield that plays the start of this one, albeit in fifth, play against City next week. So, yeah. you know, if it's if it's Fab Henderson and, and, and Tiago in this one, I would have them play again against City and then tweak it. So it could be an Elliot or, or a Jones uh, in Benfica. Um, Okay, Keith had he been fit, so yeah,
1: okay, fair enough. Joe, what about the forward line then? Where the options are? Um,
0: I'd go, I'd go old school I'd go, um, Mane Firmino Salah. Um, you know, I think Firmino likes a goal against Watford, doesn't he? Um, you know, oh, I, say, against him, didn't he? Yeah, and I think Mane is in good form, and like I said, just think Salah will also come back. Um, with a bit between his teeth and I, I know Diaz suffered disappointment on international duty and um, you know he's, he's had quite a bit of football again you know he's going to be good going back to Portugal in midweek his old stomping ground so I'd, I'd play him in there and, and possibly just play the the original front three
1: Is it the game Gorsley that suits Firmino best as well against kind of those relegation threats I always picture in my mind the game against Newcastle at the start of that 1920 season where he just dropped off the forward line. Lovely little flick, flick and I think it was Manny scored on that occasion. He always yeah. does well
3: against these lesser teams like
2: what your Watfords and your Arsenal's.
1: Yeah, I was going to say Spurs to be fair.
2: That's, that's <laughs> one. He, he come on, he come on as a sub actually in that game against Newcastle. It was just unbelievable. Um, yeah, I, I can see see Joe's thinking in terms of it being the the traditional front three as as I think they'll forever be collectively known, even when they don't play for Liverpool anymore. He'll just be. They'll have re- reunions for the front three. Um, Jota, he uh, he played for Portugal in both games. Didn't he? And Luis Diaz has played in Bolivia and somewhere else in South America. I should know this, I'm literally writing about it today, but he's been he, he played pretty much the full, full, but you know, both matches. I think he played 70 minutes in one and, and 80 odd minutes in the other. so Maybe you can have a little bit of a rest uh, and we'll give Salah, Mane, and uh, Firmino a go.
1: Venezuela on Wednesday was where he was. Yeah. Where'd you way. put yeah. that from, Guy? <laughs> uh, the internet. Yeah. <laughs> the the piece, he's he's read my back. piece from Wednesday. Yeah, exactly. Um, Theo, what about yourself? Joe's
3: won me over. I reckon traditional for three. Uh, they got that form against Watford, as he said. Would it have been that three that started for the away game earlier in the season?
0: I can't remember. I think it was because I remember. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember yeah. what's his name, <laughs> Daddy Rose getting. Uh, oh, that was yeah. probably one of the the worst individual performances. I felt a bit sorry for him because because Salah was just just freakish that day, but. but you're just getting absolutely tough. He looked, he looked like a Sunday league player, playing against Salah. You and then
3: Watford decided they didn't want him anymore soon after that. So that, that might be <laughs> even why. But yeah, then they're off to Portugal. So that seems a good one for Jota in his homeland. Diaz having only just left that. Both ex Porto players. So it's a sort of rivalry for them as well, going to uh, Benfica. And then well, you can make five subs there. So you can bring on Mane and Firmino for the final half hour in Portugal. So. It's a definitely the sort of game where you can rotate the front five and still give them a good hour here, hour there and let them get some goals and do the damage.
1: All right, Tradition OK. What, yeah, what about the, uh, the... No one wants to go against the boss. Joe wins out. What about results then? Ghosty,
2: <laughs> what's the score prediction? Do you know what? Me and Doily were talking about this when we come away from, from Forest, and he, he said, uh, oh, no, what for the way so fun? And I, I, like normally I just kind of roll my hands and ignore him when he says stuff like that. I actually stopped him and said, no, come on, Doily, behave yourself you say this about everyone and, and this will not be a tough game for the Pearl. So I'm going to go 4 nil.
1: I'd love to be a planable. I'd love to be a Eternal pessimist idiot Ian Doyle and, and Gorski there, the, the ray of optimism. But uh, OK, nil for Gorski. Joe, yourself?
0: Yeah, I mean, Doyle does look like, you know, if Botford get a corner in the first minute tomorrow, we'll get a sweet side. it would be hard for Liverpool from here. You know, it's, um, it's always the Doyle way. But yeah, um I, you know, I, yeah, Watford seems three nil, three nil.
3: Theo, was it a lunchtime kickoff when they won five nil at Victory Trade as well? Yeah. yeah. Okay, no comment. Three <laughs> nil as well. Like, I, I think it's going to be a bit tougher than a five nil, but they should still have enough about them to get the win they need.
1: OK, brilliant stuff. We'll keep across it, of course, across the Liverpool Echo website. I'm sure he's doily on blogging duty, Joe. Will he be there with his optimism
0: in the blog? Yeah, he and his great optimism will be there. You know, deep down, he loves it, doesn't he? He makes out like he's, you know, Liverpool are going to lose. But deep down, he absolutely loves it when they win. Of, of course.
1: course he does. Of course he does. We'll have plenty of reaction, of course, across the Blood Red channel as well, whether that is the audio channels, wherever it is you get your podcasts from, or if it is the YouTube channel indeed. Thanks for joining us. Myself, Guy Clark, Joe Rimmer, Paul Gorst and Theo Squires. Until next time, bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.